Welcome to the Read Optional Podcast here on the Gridiron Network. We are taping this on a Thursday, and I am delighted to be joined on the line by Stephen Ruiz from The Ringer. Stephen, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. We are here to do probably too much conversation about <laughs> Daniel Jones. Are you prepared? I'm prepared. And like over five minutes is too much conversation, <laughs> right? And we're going to do much more than that. And this is a series loosely titled The Most Interesting Schematic Questions of the Season. And I was running through my my calendar of these, which is really just ways for me to pick 12 topics I wanted to discuss in a loose format before the year. Um, and one of the people was Brian Dable, which is where the main focus of this conversation will be. But even as I sent it over to you and I look back at it, I'm like, why did I pick this one? Is this really even <laughs> for me as a reach, as trying to find the, the most underground topics possible? This Even this feels like a reach to me. I feel like this is a testament to Brian Dayball and the respect that I think we both have for him that we that he can get us to talk about Daniel Jones for like an hour. <laughs> so I, I should say that for, for people who've just started the podcast, this will be good. That's not a way of me saying skip this one. Yes. This, this will be a good conversation. Um, let's start with now. I always start big pitch with these people then just broad strokes. Brian Dayball, give me your general assessment, thoughts, everything you have on Dayball. Uh, flexible. That's that's the first word that comes to mind with him. And you could see it throughout his time in Buffalo from before Josh Allen became the starter. And then when Josh Allen kind of had his his training wheels uh, year in 2019, and then when he took off in 2020, there's been a, an evolution of the offense. And even, even when Josh Allen's been doing good, the, the offense, it seems like Brian Dayball is constantly tinkering with it and finding – ways to make it as if as efficient as possible like you go back to 2019 and this was they weren't a team that used a lot of play action they were still kind of under center for the for a, a majority of the time or a majority compared to other nfl teams and then 2020 they get Stefan Diggs. they have all these wide receivers they can use and then they start to use 10 personnel that wasn't a thing they were using in 2019 or 2018 they start using no huddle the, their no huddle rate spikes they start using play action more often and then we get to 2021 and then you kind of see defenses adjust to what they were doing in 2020 and taking away those explosives. And then now we, we start to see the return of 21 personnel. That was something they didn't really use since 2018. They start to give Reggie Gilliam, the fullback more snaps. And that's kind of how they get back to that offense where they're producing explosives. So for me, it's, it's like his old boss in Buffalo, the Sean McDermott, a, a, another flexible guy. I think that's, that's his main selling point for me is he, he's, he's willing to change the offense if he has to, and to, to suit his personnel and to suit his quarterback. And I, I think that's why I'm excited about this season for the giants. And I'm excited to see what he does with Daniel Jones. Cause I do think Daniel Jones has some talent and there's some talent there. And if there's any offensive mind, that's going to get the most out of it. I think it's day ball. He's a really interesting guy because we, we exist in this world now where all coaches have philosophies and there's some kind of philosoph philosopher alongside their just kind of play calling acumen. Whereas with him, right. there is no kind of day ball-ism, right? He just kind of gets the roster, what will work best, and I will run that. And if I have to throw one thing out one season and pivot completely to the next season, even back to... I covered him really closely when he was at Alabama. I was working for SEC Country back then. And him coming into Alabama, which is right after Lane's been there and installed the spread option, basically, um, which, you know, was a, a giant cultural shift for Nick Saban and his staff. And then Dayball rocks up and says, we're actually going to move to the Veer and shoot and all that 
Baylor stuff from RG3 on the line, that Bryle stuff, I'm going to run that instead because he had a quarterback who could throw the ball vertically and do pretty much nothing else. In Buffalo, from a rhythm system to a non-rhythm system, you mentioned the super spread to more condensed. He will just run anything. And I actually now get my find myself, I used to fall in love with the philosophers. I used to think it was great. They'd crack some secret code. And I find myself as I'm maturing, thinking, I like the guy who will just run whatever is necessary based on the personnel. No, yeah, and that's why I love like Bill Belichick. Like Bill Belichick from the d- defensive side is that kind of that guy. Like there's not like one thing that you're like this is what Bill Belichick majors in. Like obviously they've been a man coverage team the last couple of years, but before that they were heavy zone. And I think those are the best coaches. Like I, the the coaches that can adjust. Now there are some of those philosopher types like Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan that I think are better at tinkering with their system and aren't so beholden to it. They're they're willing to evolve it as we saw in LA this year when he got Matt, Matthew Stafford. And then as we saw with Shanahan, when we started to see more man concepts to the point where like outside zone for Shanahan, isn't necessarily like the centerpiece of the offense. I think we still like equate that play with his offense, but they're doing so much more in the run game where it's become diverse. And those, those are the coaches that last. And that's why I think Dave ball. I, I mean, we haven't seen him as a head coach and who knows how he's going to fare in that role. But as a play caller, as an offensive designer, I I mean, I have the utmost confidence in him. Do you think there's any connective tissue through the Buffalo years that stands out? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I would say the run game. I, it's kind of, there was I one year where you. that's what I, I my big thing, yeah, the run game, the run game, pulling and moving guys in the run game, right? Anyone being eligible to move, which is in the NFL it is unusual when you dig through who has pulled a move that they actually don't do that an awful lot. They kind of do right. have guys and their concepts that they, they trust and they'll just beat someone overhead with the, uh, uh, our guys are better than your guys type style. Everyone is eligible, which is interesting, and we can come on to it later with what they've done with the offensive line this year. And you can see clearly that that is going to be a big part. If, if Dable will have some kind of Dableism down the line, I think right. that will be part of it. That that is the thing that, and you know, he will get to that through different ways. You mentioned they go super spread, but all five can still go right, or it's that he gets heavier, but still all six, seven can can go and move in space and become part of the combination when you get a double pulling situation. That's the one thing to me from college back to the pros and previously too, is that the run game for him is about getting people moving in space and it can be anyone along the line. Yeah. And that was, that was the first thing that stood out to me when he took over in Buffalo and when he took over the offense, I remember that game against the Ravens. It was like a week one game. I think it might've been rainy. Nathan Peterman started and it was just like a bloodbath. They just like the Ravens just throttled uh, the bills offense, but, you could see some cool stuff happening in the run game. And I remember, I think I even tweeted about tweeted it out. I was like, yeah, this was like really ugly. Nathan Peterman is terrible. Josh Allen like looks as raw as we expected him to be, but there's something to this run game. And I think that is the thing that's kind of endured throughout. I was, I've been watching Josh Allen recently and I just watched the, the bucks game the other day and they were pulling everyone. Like everyone was pulling the center, the both guards, like in every direction. So like you said, I think that's, yeah, that might be the trademark of the day ball offense. And I don't think it's overly creative. I think he just went through and said, give me the 30 best run plays in the history of pro football. And I'll just install those ones and just <laughs> right. hit them until, until, you know, 30 is enough options when you're lined up, you know, and you're not sure which one is coming. And I think the, the really exciting thing with Evan Neal is that he is absolutely both your anchor point and move guy in space. 
Uh, and I think that, you right. know, just build personnel out. And when you're going through that offense as well, rattle through, you kind of start with maybe Tony, if you believe in Tony, which is sometimes hard to do. And then as a genuine playmaker in space, getting Evan Neal out there should probably be a big part of the offense. Yeah, they, and then getting Saquon Barkley in space. I Like Saquon, I don't think is like the, the best pure runner or like, you know, like I don't think he does a great job of, of reading out concepts. But if anyone's going to get him in space and get the most out of him at the NFL level, it's going to be Dayball. And I think you're going to get to see some creative designs to get Evan Neal out in space in front of Saquon Barkley. And that's, that's going to be a deadly combination because the one thing we can't say about Saquon is he's still hard to tackle. Even if he's not the best at reading out concepts, he is still very hard to tackle. So I'm very interested to see what this run game looks like and how he blends that with the quarterback run game and the RPO game. I, I, I really think that's that's the key to this offense. Like if he can nail that part, I think the passing game will be a byproduct of that because there's enough talent in the, the receiving core. And I think Daniel Jones has enough talent in him to get the most out of a passing game that, where the defense isn't like just keyed in on the passing game, like where they're playing on easy mode for the most part. I, I do think there's a chance that this offense looks a lot better than people expect it to. Given that we've said he's a chameleon, how much can we draw from 2021 is a really interesting year for him and for them, because all the pieces are there, right? They can run anything. Um, and that final run, they, they kind of really lean into the two things in the final six to eight weeks, which is when they're in Super Bowl mode, right? It's like, right. what are we running to win the whole thing? And they basically, they ditched 10 personnel, which is a big thing for them, right? Everyone wrote about that. They run a ton of 10 personnel. They were like third in the league or whatever. They kind of say bleep that. We are purely 11. We have a slot who's basically our tight end, who's a slot, who's a receiver, and we go 22. And we'll just bounce between those two things and our run game orbits around. We have a quarterback who can move and we have a two back offense. And then we'll bounce into the soup spread when we want. And we're running these two different personalities on whatever snap we fancy and we know that because of our personnel they basically can't stop it irregardless if they kind of know what's what's coming is there anything you can take from that at all when you then move to a new organization i it's it's tough just looking at comparing the the, the personnel i don't know if they're it's going to look like 2021 especially at the end like you said i do think that's kind of like Sean McDermott's MO is figuring things out those first couple months and then figuring out what you do best and how you can win and then majoring in that for the rest of the season. I don't think they, they're going to do what they did at the end of 2021. I would look at like, I would say 2019 might be the model when they, when they started, when they started to kind of spread things out. I think that's when you first started to see the iterations of the super spread offense that we saw Josh Allen really take command of. I, that's what that's where I'm looking because they don't have a fullback on the roster. So they can't kind of, they can't really do the condensed stuff. I guess they can do with tight end bodies, but you're not going to do the condensed stuff that they did at the end of 2021. So I, I don't know. I don't know if it looks like that. And that, that key thing with the two back, they would realign the formation super late in the play clock. That was kind of his right, yeah. thing or have Gilliam on the move. And they, yeah, as you said, well, Gilliam is really, really good. You know, it's, it's just, yes, he's I, good. I mean, you can go find those guys. There's loads of them probably looking for jobs right now when you look through the rosters in the league, but he's particularly really, really good. And then as a, as a true uh, pass catching threat, which obviously complicates things. The one big thing, I guess, that everyone else would have discussed that we should probably touch on a little bit is their first down pass rate which is bonkers 
I don't know how much of that you can ever carry across. One, they ran so many RPOs, and then even when you watch them, they're very difficult to tell what is actually an RPO action. That's yes. I find their RPO numbers really difficult to comprehend because of the way he is basically uh, layering his play action game with his RPO game. It makes it very difficult at times to figure out what is what. And then that first down stuff, everything he does is a is a box check. So I don't know if they're just throwing the ball at a crazy high rate because Josh has the option. And when quarterbacks have the option, they pick the pass. Often, even when it's a post-snap option, they like to throw the football. I can't imagine that he is going into this first season with Daniel Jones, whether even if he has a, a modicum of confidence in Daniel Jones, would say, let's have one of the highest first down pass rates in the league. Even though that, that's smart football, right? That's the, the, the good way to play the game. Um, it just can't work with this guy right away. No, yeah, I don't think you're going to see like pure drop back passes on on early downs, like a, a load of them. I, I do, and I agree with you. I think like the RPO stuff, the pass rates are kind of, you kind of take them with a grain of salt, especially with these like RPO heavy teams. I know like Arizona, for instance, had one of the higher uh, early down pass rates, but if you really dive into it, it's just all RPOs and they really don't pass a lot on first down. So I, I do think that maybe the numbers at the end of the season will look back and go, oh, they, they, passed it on early downs more often than not or more often than like the average team. But I, I do think it's going to be more RPO heavy. And and really you watch Daniel Jones you, going back to Duke. That's, that was kind of one of his selling points is he was really good in the RPO game. He was good at getting, getting those throws off quickly, getting those throws off with bodies in his face, which you have to do in the RPO game. So I, I think it, it works just like philosophically based on what Dayball has been doing recently. And then it works with the quarterback. It works with the personnel. And I think that's what matters. And if you, if you listen to uh, the bills kind of talk about how they brought along Josh Allen, it was just finding things that he was good at and just majoring in them. Even if it wasn't something that necessarily fit in whatever Brian Dayball's philosophy was coming into that, coming into that experience with the bills. And that's what's really funny, right? He basically went and picked up the Wyoming playbook and said, hey, Josh, I know you're really raw. Why don't we just keep running your stuff, your verbiage? I'm happy to do that. And then like six weeks in, they're like, we are terrible at this. I thought, <laughs> I thought you'd be good at it because you ran it in college. I realized now you're a bad player in college. Why don't we right. dump all the stuff you tried to do in college, which is run a pro system? And why don't we run what would be more of a college style system in the pros? And hey, presto, he's the best quarterback in the league, basically. <laughs> right, right. That's that's how it, I guess he didn't uh, look at josh allen's stat line at wyoming he would have known he and it's have, funny because it's like it sounds like the right thing to do right it's like oh let's go do what he did in college that's that will help him along a lot of what guys do is they bring the guy from college they try and make him do all the new stuff they wonder why he's not performing as well as he did in college because you're asking him to do a bunch of new things we'll go the other way and they forgot the the middle ground there where he wasn't very good and the offense wasn't very good so, yeah, it's like, yeah, like you saw like Carolina do that with Cam and then you saw the Chiefs do it with Mahomes. So it made sense, but it it didn't really make sense, like in terms of like how offense has evolved, because those those offenses, those teams were running like at Auburn and uh, Texas Tech were kind of ahead of the curve, whereas Wyoming was running like the old pro style type <laughs> offense. It's just like, no, that's that's you need like Tom Brady to run that offense, actually. The other thing that stood out to me, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on kind of how this works 
in terms of the pieces on the Giants offense and how you slot these together. He, I, I don't think D- Dable doesn't run a ton of different concepts. Now, I'm not no. seeing the book, so maybe it's all option reads and they just so happen to break that way, you know, based on the coverage. That's certainly plausible. Uh, but instead of doing the thing where which we all hear, which is, you know, different presentation for the same concept by changing formation or whatever, he kind of just moves the bodies. It's like yeah. you have a go being the three, now you have a go being a three. They'll think it's a different play, but we'll run the same play. And so you get this thing where um, I saw Robert Mays today wrote a, a big piece about, you know, the, the power slot, the big slot, whatever whatever we're calling it these days, where you move the big body inside. And that's a big thing from the, the McVeigh tree, the Packers guys, is you move the big body inside, you move the small body outside, it confuses the matchups. Dayball has kind of does that by giving everyone their own little run in, in, in moving between the positions. And when you look at what they have on the roster, there is an exciting thing there where you can bounce people between all the different positions rather than just saying Tony's our bubble screen guy and we'll just throw it to him in the flat. Galladay, you go box someone out. I think they can do some pretty creative matchup things with where he can juggle those guys in the formation. Yeah, and I think we kind of saw this last year. Like you look at at Cole Beasley, you look at Emmanuel Sanders, and they're kind of like the, they're not different uh, similar players, but they're similar body types and guys that you would look at and be like, oh, those are slot guys. And then you look at Sterling Shepard and Tadarius Tony, and maybe you have like the same situation going on, two smaller guys that are better in space. And then you have Kenny Galladay. And we saw how he used Gabriel Davis, especially in that Chiefs game. He wasn't just an outside guy, just isolating. He 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 ran routes from the slot. I don't think Kenny Galladay and, and Gabriel Davis are the same type of player. They're the same body type, but. Yeah, I, I think there there are ways to get this passing game. If the offensive line can hold up in like pure pass protection and pure dropback situations, I, I could envision this being not like a top 10 passing game by any means, but one that's like around league average or maybe even slightly above league average. So let's do the Daniel Jones part then. If you uh, if you want to skip, uh, let's, let's say ten minutes. Uh, producer Michael, I will put a timestamp after we finish <laughs> discussing Daniel Jones. Um, so you you said you think there's a good player in there, right? So where are you at him? I uh, yeah, a good good is a strong word. Uh, I've I've always been a little higher on Daniel Jones than most. Like going, even going back to his draft, I I wrote a piece. I wasn't saying he was good by any means, but I was just saying like he's fine. Like he'll be fine. If you draft him like in the late first round, it's fine. It's not the worst thing in the world. And I think he's like proven to be that type of player, even though the stats haven't been great. I mean, if you go back and watch his tape from last year, I mean, if any quarterback was playing on hard mode last year, it was him. I, I That offense, just the design, I don't think was very good. I don't think they did a good job of getting the most out of their personnel around him, his, the skill players. The offensive line was obviously a mess. And obviously, and Daniel Jones contributes to some of these issues too, right? Like the offensive line hasn't been great in pass protection, but he holds onto the ball a little longer than most quarterbacks. He's kind of oblivious to pressure around him. I think uh, Derek uh, Klassen said it said it best he said he doesn't have object permeance like if he if he's not looking at that edge rusher anymore he thinks he doesn't exist but he does and that's why he fumbles so much but i do i think there's like a little ryan Tannehill in there i like that's the comp that i always go back to like the the guy that's almost naively tough in the pocket and willing to hang in there and take a hit and willing to make tough throws downfield and, and over the middle and if you could kind of you know, reshape this offense and the scheme around some of the similar concepts that have helped Ryan Tannehill break out from being a quarterback that was kind of mediocre to one that's 
almost in the top 10. Maybe he is in the top 10, depending on how you feel about him. I think we could see a similar, a similar type breakout for Daniel Jones. If, if Dayball is able to find that right formula. And I think it's there. I think it, there's a blueprint all around the league. Like we've seen quarterbacks, maybe not less talented, but less dynamic than Daniel Jones captain good offenses. So I don't see why Daniel Jones, who for all his, his weaknesses, he's a good athlete. You can use him in the run game. You can you can mess around with the numbers in the box, force the defense to account for him in the run game. And he'll make a throw downfield. Like, he's not afraid to make a throw. He's not a conservative quarterback by any means. And I think you, there's a good offense you can make if you kind of protect him from himself. That's the thing with him that's really frustrating when you watch him is he can make big-time throws and mm-hmm. he can stand in and sling it, which, is, which isn't everything, but it's certainly something. Um, he just misses the easy buckets. And it's like, God, if, yes. he, could just, if he could just hit the layups, you, you feel like you'd have something. That the issue is, uh, as you said, the, the lack of understanding versus pressure is just consistently reading stuff out, getting laser focus, and it's how much that can you change. The, the f- fun thing about him with Dayball is I think we'll know immediately because if you go through Football Outsiders had a great graphic a few weeks ago where it's, it's basically Dayball. When he's with a good quarterback, they just wreck the world. And when he's with bad quarterbacks, they're awful. <laughs> There's no middle ground. He's not exactly this great scheme designer, right? Like you're saying with Tannehill, where this yeah. design pops guys open. He makes average guys look pretty good. You know, he gets like average guys paid, that type of thing. He basically gives quarterbacks options. And if they're good, they take the good options and they they complete the passes. And if they're bad, they don't know where they're going with the ball and they get they get clobbered. So I feel like even within five, six weeks, whether this is the right roster or not, but I, I think we'll pretty much have an idea. Yeah, I do too. And I I think Daniel Jones is kind of a weird quarterback where you look at him and you kind of consider the the archetype he kind of fits into. You he, he obviously played at Duke under the coach now. I'm forgetting his name, the Manning guy. Uh but you look at him and you're like, oh, he could be like a Manning type. Like that's, he, he could be like, we can run a bunch of quick game, you know, we can march the ball down the field, but he makes too many mistakes for, to run an offense like that. So you kind of need to lean into to that high volatility aspect of his game where he, like you said, he can make a throw and he's not afraid to make a throw. And, and sometimes they look very pretty. And I think if you if you realize that, if you build the offense around explosives, like not necessarily w- what the Bengals did with Joe Burrow, because I think Joe Burrow is a more well-rounded quarterback, but I think that's how the Giants kind of need to operate on offense, where down-to-down consistency isn't necessarily there. Like their success rate is low, but their EPA is high because they get all these explosive plays. I think that that should be the model. That should be what they they're trying to get. I, I think that it's probably unrealistic because they don't have Jamar Chase and T Higgins and Joe Burrow. But I, I do think that's the setup, the perfect balance uh, to get the most out of Daniel Jones. The problem there is that he's decent when he's kept clean and then essentially the worst passer in the league. <laughs> yeah. pressured. And it's just a pressure league. And when you go through his blitz numbers, I want to talk to you a little bit about general where the league is at in terms of zone pressures versus blitz and how how much teams are now backing off just general blitz frame and he is one of the worst players of the last five years when blitz and i just don't know in it it's as if he's the answer to a question from six years ago. And as you said, if he'd got that kind of hill spot in Tennessee and we were still doing the wide zone and boot world, then great, you know, have go have a good career and you know, hit some deep shots downfield. As we move into this zone pressure world, 
everyone's moving on defense you really have to be just on in quick game if you're going to move the ball right otherwise you're going to be in third and longer now we're in real trouble if you are not immune to the blitz i just don't know how you can move the ball effectively in 2022 if those are your your issues yeah that that's the big problem that's why i, I like i've had a problem with baker mayfield i think defenses we talk about this too high thing and how it's taking over the league and i think like that's shorthand for something else and I, I don't know, maybe us as analysts haven't done a good job of actually like explaining it, but it isn't so much that teams are just playing too high coverage. Not It's not just that they're playing like split safety coverage. It's, I feel like it's more like the environments they're putting out on early down, like the types of plays they're calling. They're kind of creating third down environments on early downs with these, these like creepers and simulated pressures and like safe pressure, I think is the word that defensive coaches will use. And you're right. Like that's where diagnosis and quick diagnosis, quick processing and, and figuring out what the defense is throwing at you really matters. And that's why I think we're starting to see pushback against these, these play action quarterbacks, these Shanahan offense quarterbacks. I, I think teams are, are realizing that they need something more out of the position. They need playmakers and they need guys that can make a, make a play in obvious passing downs. And I think that's why Sean McVay realized, okay, enough of Jared Goff. And I think that's why Shanahan decided to move on from Jimmy G. I think that's why the Titans drafted Malik Willis, even though Ryan Tannehill is still on the roster and getting paid a bunch of money. I, I do think we're seeing that change, like you said, and maybe Daniel Jones's time has passed him by and maybe he, it, the Giants wasted what could have been like a good rookie contract quarterback. I think he could have been one of those quarterbacks that where you look at his contract and go, oh, he's one of the better bargains in the league. And they never really got that. Yeah, we do too much good or bad analysis and not time and place. He would have been the right guy in a different environment in a different time. And and, and it, in his time, unfortunately, but in the wrong place, essentially. It's like you said, and I've banged on about this for a year now, the defenses have inverted the downs. They are coming after you on first down, and then they get safe on third down. That's how this whole thing is going. And yeah. you have to, in that environment, when you're getting heat on first down, or as you said, a safe pressure, so it's still four, but they're muddying up. They know all your offensive line rules. That's the great trick, is there's like four mm -hmm. And so they know that, <laughs> right. and therefore they can use them against you. And the only way you can defeat that is if you are an elite processor or you can make plays on the move and you can just kind of create ad hoc. And if you don't have one of those two traits, then it's not going to happen for you. And that's why when you've rattled through the top six to 10 guys, you're either Rogers who can do both or you're Brady or you're Mahomes and you can move to throw. And that's just the league we're in. And Daniel Jones, I, those are the two things. I have questions on. He doesn't get the ball out quick enough. And when he moves, there's an awful lot of panic there. And it's funny because he's a good athlete, but he's mm. not a slippery athlete. You know, he's he stumbles over his own feet. He's a head down and I'll go get it athlete. And I'm just not sure necessarily that that's what you need right now. Yeah, he's like like 90% of his game is like actually kind of impressive. But then the 10% is like he just can't help but make a mistake every like five plays i remember there was a i think they played on opening the monday night opener against the steelers a couple of years ago and like he he was had this drive where he made a couple plays and they were driving down and like on twitter everyone was like oh daniel jones like maybe he's turned the corner like he's good and then and then he throws like the dumbest interception you could possibly throw. And I tweeted out, that's why you wait till the end of the drive to compliment Daniel Jones. You never do it in the middle of the drive because he's he's itching to make a play that makes you just give up on him. And I don't think he's one of those quarterbacks where like he does like like we've covered, he makes strong throws downfield, but he doesn't make those like amazing highlight plays that give fans something to 
to hold on to and grasp onto, like kind of like Sam Darnold did those first couple of years with the Jets. Like 95% of the play was ugly, but then there was those 5% of the plays where he's like rolling out and throwing across his body and hitting a guy in stride 20 yards or 30 yards downfield. Daniel Jones doesn't really give you those. He gives you like strong throws from the pocket that are kind of impressive from the end zone angle, but not necessarily on the broadcast angle. And I think that's the difference between him and a quarterback where you're willing to live with the volatility a little more. Like, like for instance, my quarterback that I can't give up on that's volatile is Jameis Winston. I think he gives you a lot more of those, those impressive throws that only like 5% of quarterbacks can make. Do we read anything into the fact when Dayball got the job, his first phone call was to try to sign Mitch Trubisky. Is that anything we should read into? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Whenever Mitch is involved, your quarterback situation is not good. So yeah, we should read into it. And it's, it's, it's says something about how he feels about Daniel Jones. Cause it's not like he was looking for a, a player, like a veteran quarterback who's been in his offense for a bunch of years, like a chase Daniel type. I feel like it says a lot when you look at a quarterback who is almost the same age as your very young uh, starting supposedly franchise quarterback. In terms of Jones, then in the run game, we mentioned this before, and they went to 22 personnel. They probably won't use an awful lot of that. When they used Allen last year in the run game was basically high leverage situations. We need a first down or score a touchdown. Um, on the road in the Chiefs, because they just really wanted to win that game. It's like unload the mother load on the road in Arrowhead. And then obviously in the playoffs, everything is high leverage. Right. Jones isn't that... It's, I mean, he's a big, big guy. He's, a, he's a, his numbers are, um, are outrageous, but he just isn't the same caliber of runner of Josh Allen. Do you think we will see the stuff in the run game for nothing else than to go back to us saying about how he gives QBs options? Do you just have to do that to try and get the box count on your side to make things easier for him in the passing game? I think you have to do it. If you're not doing that, I don't think you're going to have a good offense with Daniel Jones as your quarterback. You have to do it. And I do think it's easier. It's going to be easier for them to to call more of those those run plays just because you're not protecting a half billion dollar quarterback. And that's what and I think that was part of the the strategy with the bills last year is like early in the year, they didn't run Josh Allen on design runs a whole lot, especially in the red zone. And then, like you said, they ramped it up at the end of the year. Cause that's, that's winning time. That's when it's time to win a super bowl. And yeah, it, the, the concepts have to be different, right? Like you're not going to run QB sweep QB power with Daniel Jones. You're running read option type stuff, zone read type <laughs> stuff. You just like, if the defense doesn't account, then he takes off. That's why I'm interested because he's always been a zone read guy, right? And trying to pop him around the edge. And if he gets the corner, he's got long strides and off he goes and it's, it's 20 yards or whatever. Whereas Josh Allen, it was, yeah, let him fold in behind a wrapper. And then whoever is the guy who's coming around, even mm. if he's around clean, they have to meet Josh Allen one-on-one. Probably they're, they're, you know, they're gapped out. Maybe not. Maybe it's a spinning safety. And, oh my God, that's Josh Allen. I don't know. Do you just say bleep it and try it? Because uh, as, as as effective as the Jones thing has been in spurts, those numbers are a bit, when you dig in deeper into numbers, they're a bit squirrely in terms of the down and distance. He gets a lot of fat in his in his rushing numbers. I, I think I would just try by throwing in the Allen book and saying, well, look, if, we're, if he's ever going to be good, we're going to have to do some of this. So again, we'll know pretty quickly whether he can do any of this. Stuff. The, the difference, I guess, is he's more of a brittle player uh, on reputation, at least, than, than Allen is. Yeah, like I, like I feel like the whole quarterback desi- the design quarterback run game for Buffalo the last couple of years has been predicated on the concept of 
let's try to make a cornerback or a defensive back tackle this behemoth of a quarterback that we have. And those guys are afraid are kind of afraid to tackle a guy as big as Josh Allen in space, especially when he's coming downhill and that you don't get that same effect with Daniel Jones. But I like, what else, what else, what do you have to lose? Like Daniel Jones, this is probably his final year in, in New York. If, if it's not like a booming success. So just run them into the ground. It's kind of a cynical way to look at it because this is like a player's health, but you're not afraid of Daniel Jones getting hurt necessarily. So why not just try it? Because like you said, if Daniel Jones is going to be good, he's got to do some of this stuff. Like one of his major selling points is that he's big and he's athletic and he's fast. And if you're a big athletic, fast quarterback who is kind of shaky in the drop back passing game, then you better be heavily involved in the run game if you want to be an asset. So I would agree with you. I think you just throw the, the Allen book at him and see if he sinks or swims. It's a little similar to um, out in San Francisco too with Trey Lance because they used him in that Arizona game and people will be frustrated because I think this is the 12th pod in a row where I've discussed that singular game, <laughs> Arizona and Trey Lance last season. When they use him on the zone read stuff, it, he just isn't that guy. He's not blurry in space guy. He is, get me a corridor. And when I get to the second level, I look at like the same size as those people. So as long as I meet them in the hole, it's probably going to be 50-50. And I feel the same way with Daniel Jones. He is not the the, the burst in space type, make a guy misplay. So why are you even been trying to do a certain read that would get him onto the edge I, i'm i'm not quite sure why that's the thing or at least on the edge with like i said a wrapper or puller in space you can clear some of the the debris out the way for him i'm not so sure um mike kafka's there now i was thinking about this a lot where kafka obviously hasn't called plays before he was the quarterback coach uh, in kansas city my favorite note about kafka was that his assignment was often to troll through high school tape to try and find the best plays from around Americans around from high school and bring, I don't know, I think it was six, seven to Andy Reid every other week to, to try and pinch the best plays from high school where most of the creative stuff happens. I almost like Dayball. I don't know if Mike Kafka will be good at calling plays. That's all about sequencing. It's all about feel for the game. I almost prefer Dayball as like play designer and just building out the structure of this is what the offense should look like and then handing it to someone else to say, you go call the game day plays. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think Dayball is like a great and almost ideal big picture type of coach. And I do think that if there's anything where you nitpick him, it's kind of when he, in the heat of games, when he starts to call plays, that's when you kind of see him. That's when he gets a little stubborn. Like we, we've talked about his philosophy and how he doesn't really have a philosophy. There's no stubbornness there at all. But I do think like within games and as a play caller, we kind of see that stubbornness show up. Like when he's calling like 20 pass plays in a row even if it's not the most effective way, but it like allows t defenses to play, to drop back and play those safer coverages, which make things harder on the, the passing game. But uh, yeah, we, we have no idea of knowing what Kafka is going to be as a play caller, but like you said, he's surrounding his himself with people that are like-minded that will look to other places, lower levels. They don't have that arrogance where they're not going to look to lower levels for ideas and that, and again, that's why I'm kind of like optimistic about the Giants offense. And I'm kind of optimistic about Daniel Jones fit in it because I do think they're going to find not something that will work necessarily, but the thing that fits Jones best. It's like the best thing they can possibly do. They're going to find the best option eventually, I do think. It really stinks of a team that's going to be like 21st in DVOA. 
Daniel Jones is going to look terrible on Red Zone, and then the nerds will gather online to tell you they're doing really cool, creative things. And this is the the <laughs> of this system because I, I don't know what Kafka will bring. I don't know if it's going to be all you know spread option stuff from from Kansas City. They were trying to evolve that thing at the back end of last year as well. He seems to have that similar mindset, like we were discussing with Dable, right? It's like just just put the plays in the best position to succeed. But they do have guys who would fit where you could pick up parts of that chief thing and drop it onto this uh to this roster and it would work yeah. there's guys here who are at their best in space and the whole chief setup was about crafting space um so i don't know that that could be interesting let's um let me just rattle through some of the the um skill position players and get your quick takes on some of these skill position guys um where are you at with Kadarius tony See, I, I disliked Kadarius Tony when I first started watching his tape at Florida. And then like, as I went through it, I, I, I think I w- ended up watching like eight games of Florida just because they had Kyle Pitts also. And I, I became a bit of a fan. Like I wasn't like the people that were selling him as a, a bona fide first round pick, but I was like, I could see it. Like he was starting to kind of trim the fat from some of his route running. And I think that was the biggest issue for me. He was, there was so much fat. It was like 90% fat in, in his routes. Like he would be like wide open. No one would be covering him and he would still do like a little shake, a little crossover move at the top of his routes. Uh, but I, when he trimmed the fat, I could see a successful player, like a successful NFL receiver. And then we kind of saw a little bit with some flashes of that when he, when he was healthy last year, I I'm, I'm bullish on him. I think he'll be, I think he could be a good player, a useful player. If he kind of, you know, keeps his head on straight and, and, and uh, commits himself to football. That's the the worry with him. Now that he's with Dayball, Dayball's going to find space for him. I do think that I think Kafka and Dayball, those two, that duo are going to find interesting ways to get him in space. And once you get him in space, like that's not a concern at all for me. I don't know about you, but for me, it was always route running. It was what happened up until the point when he got the ball in his hands. If they could find a way to mitigate those issues, then I, I think he could be a player that we look at as not like a top, even top 25 receiver, but in that tier right below that benchmark. I think he can be a top 25. If we just went, who is the, the biggest difference makers on an offense right now? You know, who would you want to have on your offense by, you know, week nine, week 10? I, I think he can get there. The thing with him is like, one, he has all the unteachable things. He's the only athlete in the league who moves like Lamar Jackson. Yes, that, that 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 ability of the the famous one he has it's the Cowboys right the catch on the move and somehow he's like you said pulling off a hesitation dribble with his all of his feet planted catching the ball in the air none of it makes any sense he, he is one of those guys who looks like he's moving at a different speed and I think this might sound a bit silly to people listening but you almost want to use him the way the Packers used Devontae Adams I think where Mm-hmm. all that stuff that is just punt returns that is just the single man bubble right oh the the guy sagged off we're going to pop it out there now does he have the kind of built-in reputational advantage that is a lot of what adams is right he gets these giant cushions because people are terrified of getting close to him but even if you go three by one stack and put him at the foot of the stack well then we're just getting him the ball like you said in space and i think they can do way more creative things than i don't think even think you should be thinking about him as a receiver i know it sounds 
silly, but to ask him to, to do all of the nitty gritty nuances to get off the line and be press coverage, I just think you're asking way too much and it's almost unnecessary. It's like, well, how do we get him the ball in space consistently and get him with a leverage advantage? And it's probably moving him in motion, getting him tight, getting someone else, another body near him where you can get him out clean, which is either copying what the Rams do with Cooper Cup, right? He's always in motion. There's always another body to help him get off the line. Or like Devontae Adams, which is to isolate him on one side of the formation or bring him really tight to the formation so that no one can really get a close cushion to him and we'll just throw in the ball and hope he makes the guy miss no i like that comparison because there's there was kind of like two Devonte adams there was early down Devonte adams who was like that bubble screen guy like you said and then there's third down Devonte adams who's running like digs over the middle of the field and you're never going to ask Kadarius tony to, to do that but i i do think he could become like an early down like the guy that carries the early down offense and keeps them out of bad not only bad runs because you you have that bubble option, but just bad down and distances. And then maybe Sterling Shepard and Kenny Galladay are the guys you target on late downs. I am interested to see how often they use Tony on those option routes that they ran so much with Cole Beasley, just because of the stuff that I've been talking about, like the timing, like this is a guy that's going to happen. Even in, in an, <laughs> even in like an option route, he's going to like add like three breaks to it and like do a bunch of crossover moves. So I, I don't know. Combining his timing on, on routes with Daniel Jones timing in the pocket is a recipe for disaster. Like a, a, a simple option play might option route might take like 10 seconds. And, and I love him in a way because to do the stuff that is like, you know, the, the stuff you see come out of these prep school videos for high school recruits where, it, you know, it, it's a passing camp and they're all wearing the school caps and they put nine moves into one to get open on a slide. Right. Everyone crowds, rounds and cheers. He's never grown up from playing that kind of football. Yeah. I, this is just what I do. Okay, do you guys want it or not? Because this is how I play football. He does it before he catches the ball and after he catches the ball. It's the same thing. He's juking people no matter what, whether the ball's in his hands or not. So, um, I mean, I, I guess well, I'll let you do 30 seconds on Galladay. Is that anything other than just an Albatross contract at this point, having Kenny Galladay on your roster? No, it's not. And I, I wasn't a big fan of him before he, he signed. Like, I, I wrote, like, a, a preview of the free agent receivers. And I, when I watch his tape, like, I, I don't know. I know a lot of people liked him because his numbers were always good. But I don't know how many, how, how many people actually watched him in Detroit. But he wasn't a guy that created separation and – he wasn't a, a good route runner at all, even for a big guy. Like he didn't leverage his size well during the route. Like he, I think he did it at the catch point, but that was always my biggest problem with him. And I, I, I there's been nothing over the last year to make me change that. I'm not a huge fan of Kenny Galladay. Saquon then, you mentioned him earlier and getting him out in space, and I have no doubt they'll find a way to do that and to leverage probably Barkley on one side of the formation, Tony on the other side of the formation, you know, having to condense that space defensively becomes a bit a bit difficult for you. But there is part of me where I'm mulling on this thing of, if they said they would just trade Barkley today, and I know his, his uh, value is, is through the floor, what do you think they could extract if they just said, let's get out from the Saquon thing? Ooh, I would say a late day two pick. Mm-hmm. Maybe and like that's that's only, tough. Your only possible thing, and it probably is that price, no matter what. But you're basically betting on an owner, like not having followed the sport beyond <laughs> right. the name and the draft, and they just like him from watching Saturday football, basically. Yeah, yeah, I think that's your best bet. Or like a, a coach that, like Urban Meyer, definitely would do that <laughs> deal, right? Like Urban Meyer gives up a first for Saquon Barkley. Unfortunately, he's not in the, the NFL anymore, so they missed their boat. They missed their chance with it with that. <laughs>
And it, it, he's another guy who is very shimmy shaky in space. Um, and at some point you have to kind of move forwards. So do you think, what do you think is the best way for them to use him? Is it in more of a tandem with someone else? Or is it using him essentially as almost your pseudo slot? They don't really have someone who would be a great um, on the line slot guy digging people out. I'm thinking almost Robert Woods style. I do think that you could use Barkley in way more creative ways because of the receiving ability than even considering him as a runner at this point. Yeah, I think you almost got have to use him like the pa- Patriots start using James White. Like, I, I think you have to view him as a, not so much a running back, but as like that fifth eligible receiver. It really, I, I do think that's the way to get the most out of him. Have him run option routes out of the backfield, line him up in the slot and run some option routes. Like, look at Carolina, and I know Joe Brady. It didn't really go well in Carolina, but I do think he took advantage of Christian McCaffrey's skill set. I think that's tape you should watch and figure out how to use Saquon Barkley and get the most out of him as a receiver. Because I just, uh, I just don't think he's a very good running back at this point. I, I, I really don't. No, he's not. That's I think <laughs> you can say that factually. Uh, and yeah. the great thing about James White was he was that coverage revealer, right? They moved him all over the show. Right. The defense will still react as though he was set up as a running back, or they were always used the final year was constant reload motion, time outside, mm-hmm. bring him back in, force them to move and at least communicate or maybe reveal something to you. And you kind of play on the fact that he's wearing that number or he comes into the huddle and is supposed to be a running back. But really, like you said, you just consider him as your fifth eligible. Um, the offensive line. Um, do we have any faith in this offensive line? I love Evan Neal. Um, I think he was the second best player in draft class. Um, Andrew Thomas has become good. They signed veterans inside, which is a bit peculiar because John Feliciano almost couldn't get on a football field by the end of last year because he's, the injury list is uh, out, out of control. They signed Glowinski. That was like their big, their big offseason signing. Do you have any faith in this offensive line giving Jones any semblance of time? Because the whole thing here, as we've discussed, is you have to find a way to get him time. Uh, I, I do have some faith. I have faith in, in Dayball kind of working around whatever issues they have. And I, I get why they signed John Feliciano, just because he was so instrumental in uh, Josh Allen's development before the snap. And call like as a right guard, he was calling protections basically for Mitch Morse. Uh, and if you go back and read in 2020, Josh Allen's breakout year, there's plenty of coaches and players like pointing to John Feliciano as like kind of like the brain of the offensive line. So I get why they they brought him in. Uh, if he stays healthy, I think like protection wise, like calling stuff out and pointing stuff out, I think will be, they'll be a lot better. And I do think that's a big deal with Daniel Jones, who, like we've said, like he's not the, the quickest processor and he doesn't diagnose things. Well, having that guy out there, I do think changes things. And I, I like Andrew Thomas. I liked him before the draft. I, I, I thought he would, he would be a little slow out the gates, but he kind of, he, he became a good player. I love Evan Neal. Like you, like you do. I like the tackles. I'm a little worried about the the interior and especially with a quarterback like Daniel Jones, as we've covered throughout this podcast, like uh, interior pressure to Daniel Jones. That's a recipe for disaster because like you said, he kind of panics under pressure and he he might run into some edge pressure and run into some fumbles. So that's my big worry. If the, if the inside is solidified, I'll feel a lot better about this offense as a whole. And that is where all the red flags go up because you can really manipulate the interior of the offensive line through through pre-snap setup defensively. And that's the big thing. Mm-hmm. And that, that, you make a great point on Feliciano there because if you're going to run an offense, which is post-snap option based, whether it's the deep breaking ones, you know, traditional slot breaking ones or RPO type stuff, 
with this guy, I think you got to take as much off the plate as possible to have him doing yes. everything pre-snap and do all that post-snap stuff. It's a lot of head work, you know, and he's proven over time that that's not really the strongest suit, as you mentioned. So you kind of want to break those jobs in two, which is what the Bills did essentially, was you worry about once the ball snapped, me and the center will worry about the pre-snap process. So that that does make some sense to me, but I, I just don't trust Feliciano holding up the whole season. The, the big thing they have is across the board, the reason that I think football outsides projections be the worst team in the league is you can talk yourself into elements of the team, right? But the, the drop off from any kind of injury to anyone else, basically through the entire roster, is you're getting to guys who I'm not sure should really necessarily be in the league. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like you, like you said, you can really talk yourself. You look at their depth chart, you could talk yourself in this, into this being a good offense, but there are like so many little issues that could pop up. And you once you start stacking those on top of each other, then you're kind of, you get more cynical about it. If And I agree with you, Feliciano making it, I don't, is he going to make it through September? Like with his <laughs> no. injury wrap? Is he camp? I don't know. <laughs> to say. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know if he's going to like make it through like walkthroughs. It's it's tough. He's an older player. He's it's, it's, it's rough. It's rough. So I sh- we should mention that Brian Dable was supposed to be the most, you know, the person of, of intrigue on this podcast. And he is the head coach of the team. We, we focus there exclusively on the offense. Um, we'll do, I guess, 90 seconds, two minutes on the defense. Um, he brought in Wink. You know, one of the shockers of the offseason was that Wink left. And I'm surprised that he took that specific job when he didn't just throw up looking at the depth chart. But I guess when you're, you walk into a building where they don't have a natural pass rush, right? Hopefully, Kayvon Thibodeau is great. I think he will be great. And I think he'll be great right out of the box because his game mm-hmm. is going to often go. And, you know, he's going to have that no matter what. There's not going to be much to figure out. When you walk into a place where it doesn't naturally have a, an organic pass rush and your whole thing is I manufacture pressure, be it through, as you mentioned, zone pressures and early downs, be it through late down blitz rate, this is the guy to do it. So I do kind of like the roll of the dice of let's go get one of the most volatile coaches in the league and throw him onto the crappy roster and let's see if, if some magic can happen. Yeah, but same concept as the offense. If one of these guys in the secondary goes down, it's not looking good behind them. And we saw what happens to a Wink Martindale uh, defense when he gets injured in the secondary last year. And he still insists on running cover zero a bunch. Uh, but I do agree. Like this, this is the guy you want when you, the giants have been a team like since their Super Bowl heyday that haven't been able to generate that pass rush. And if you're not going to be able to do it with dudes, you can do it with a guy that's crazy enough to blitz in any situation. And that's, that's our man wink. I, I don't care what happens. Like, I don't care if they have the worst defense in the league, I'm still going to love him. And I'm still going to consider him one of the better defensive coordinators in the league, just because he's not a coward. That's all I need for my defensive coordinator. He's not a coward. Uh, I just want him to be happy. And if it makes him yeah. happy to, to call the cover zero, as you said, first down, second down, whatever down he wants, as long as he is happy, I am okay with it. Um, remind me again why they cut James Bradbury when I'm looking through the depth chart and they couldn't find a trade partner, why they didn't just hold on to him to, to put him opposite Adoree Jackson. Was that purely to get under the cap? Yeah, it was a Dave Gettleman uh, botch job there. They did, they literally did not have enough money to afford a player who was already on the roster. One of the best players on the roster. One oh, of the yeah. most underrated yeah. players in the league. Probably the best defensive player they have on their roster unless Leonard Williams tries. That That's... That, that's it is unbelievable when you look through it. Oof. Yeah. 
generally then I, I as i said i looked through the football outsiders almanac before we started and they said that they have by some distance the worst de- projected dvoa and they are projected to have the 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 most losses in the league I, I when i went into the almanac and i i made my notes and i watched the tape and i sat down to this with you i was like you know what i can talk myself into this i think this offense will be really really fun will it be productive i'm not so sure but i think we'll have a good time with it this season then the almanac that those guys are really smart and they're smarter than me and it gave me real bad vibes about right it'd be like so i'm really i'm really torn i think it could be the most fun four win team in the league that is possible i think they could maybe squeeze six seven games i i have no idea i think they're this year's uh lions like you know like you watch the lions and they weren't very good but aaron glenn did some fun stuff and dan campbell's dan campbell and you're like oh this is a bad team but it's fun and I enjoy watching them. And there's some cool stuff that nerds can point to. I think that they're this year's version of the lions. Okay. Your 2022 worst good team, worst fun team is the oh. New York football giants. There we go. We found it in the, yeah. it was worth the hour to, to get to that. Steven Ruiz, the ringer, people can go and read you on the ringer. They can listen to you on the ringer football pods. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. It's a blast.